Good morning. I'm so excited to be with you guys today. And today we're going to be wrapping up our series, Rhythms, where we have been looking at all the different spiritual disciplines and how they are a means and help us to live a beautiful life with God. We've looked at a ton of different ones, but today we're going to be looking at the spiritual practice of discipleship. And this is a great way to end the series because a life of discipleship is really a life of putting into practice all the other spiritual disciplines that we already talked about, but with people. So if you have your Bibles in front of you, turn with me to Matthew 28. We'll be reading verses 18 to 20. And if you don't have your Bibles, no worries. Uh, the verses are, are going to be on the screen for you. So Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the reading of God's word. So as Christians, I think we kind of have a tendency sometimes to overcomplicate discipleship. We sometimes view discipleship as programming at church, uh, thinking that discipleship only happens in this certain type of small group or at this event that the church is hosting, or even that it's done by one particular pastor, right? Sometimes we can even approach discipleship with too narrow of a definition or thinking that it's kind of formulaic, that discipleship only happens when you are weekly meeting with a mentor type figure in a coffee shop. And I love the scripture passage that we just read because I think it challenges us to step back a little bit um, and to see how creative God really is in making disciples and what discipleship means for us today in light of all of that. And so simply put, discipleship is learning. To be a disciple means to learn from Jesus's teachings and to put into practice the way of life that the Bible teaches us, right? So in other words, to be a Christian is to be a disciple and therefore to practice discipleship. And that's why we've been doing this series on rhythms so that we can dig deeper into learning the ways of Jesus and put it into practice. So in digging deeper into discipleship as a practice today, we're gonna to be looking at three things. First, the invitation of discipleship. Second, the cost of discipleship. And third, the power of discipleship. So the invitation, the cost, and the power of discipleship. And to start, I wanna give some context to the verses that we just read. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples, and this is after he rose from the dead, right? And he's giving them the charge uh, that we often call the Great Commission. That's what those verses are often called. And it's a charge for the disciples to practice discipleship themselves. But I wanna zoom out just a little bit because this text is not where discipleship started, right? Um, it didn't start after Jesus' resurrection. The disciples had already been practicing discipleship for the three years prior to this in living life with Jesus. And that's because discipleship always starts with an invitation from Jesus to join him, to follow him, to learn from him. And in Matthew 4, verses 18 to 20, we see Jesus inviting the disciples into community with him. In those verses, 
It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. I love that. Come, follow me. Jesus gives us this invitation today too, to be with him, to learn from his ways, to taste and see that he is good, and to learn what it means to take his yoke upon us and learn that it is easy. Just like the disciples, Jesus' Jesus's call to discipleship for us starts with an invitation, an invitation to be with him. But Jesus' invitation to the disciples didn't stop there. It goes even deeper. Jesus invites them to follow him, yes, but he also invites them to be in community with other people, even people who aren't like them. You see, he invited fishermen, right, to be in community with tax collectors, other disciples. A disciple named Matthew was a tax collector. And then he invites his whole group of disciples to spend their time with the poor, the marginalized, the lonely, and the outsiders. As a church, we have this same invitation to go deeper. Through discipleship, we have an invitation to spend time with people, learning from others and learning with others what it means to live out our faith. And oftentimes that means that we're learning from people who are not like us. Just like the fishermen, Peter and Andrew wouldn't have naturally spent time with Matthew the tax collector outside of being Christ's disciples and in community together. As the church, we get to hear and listen to and learn from stories of people who aren't like us and who we might not otherwise have crossed paths, path, crossed paths with outside of being in community with them. You see, the gospel does that. It transcends all of our social dynamics and calls us to be present with the people around us and to go further than we're comfortable by listening, by empathizing, by seeking to understand all of the people in our lives, both in the church and outside of the church. And I think that's the beauty of the gospel and of the church today. And in particular of our church here at Hope Jersey City. We're diverse and we can celebrate that diversity because we're invited by Jesus to intentionally listen to, learn from, and yeah, celebrate the unique ways that God has made all of us in his image and how he's drawing us into community together. We get to learn together. It's discipleship. And Jesus invited his disciples to bring all of who they are, their passions, their professions, their skills, their personality disposition, bring all of who they are into following him and joining him and in inviting others to come along too. Effectively, what Jesus is saying to the disciples in the two texts that we've looked at so far to summarize it and kind of use more simple language, Jesus is saying, come as fishermen, as brothers, as people who are a part of this community, and I'll teach you how to use your expertise, your passions, your current relationships to connect with other people 
to learn from them. But also, I want you to teach them all that I've taught you. I want you to use your vocation, your personality, the things that you love to invite others to follow me too, to follow me with you. And because of that, discipleship is an invitation for everyone to participate, for me and for you. There's not one group of Christians who disciples and then another regular group over here that doesn't. No, not at all. And discipleship is not like some graduate degree that only certain Christians do when they get to a certain level of maturity. No, we've misunderstood if we think those things. See, we're all invited to learn from Jesus and then to do what Jesus commissioned us to do, to invite others to learn and obey all that he's taught us. It's a beautiful invitation to follow Jesus and to invite others along for the ride too. And understanding the invitation of discipleship might be easy, sure, but truly adhering to it, I think that's where it's a little bit hard. And we often resist discipleship, right? Both in making disciples, but also in being discipled ourselves. And it's because there's a cost to it. In fact, I think the invitation of discipleship itself really challenges us to ask ourselves, do we really want to learn? Do we actually want to grow and learn from the ways of Jesus? If I'm honest, and if I look at my life, sometimes the answer to that question is functionally no. I say I want to learn, but when it comes down to actually humbling myself to learn from Jesus and follow all the things that he's commanded, that's really hard. And it's because one of the costs of discipleship is forfeiting my way in order to follow God's way, forfeiting our own way in order to follow God's way instead. And Jesus teaches throughout his gospels what it means to be a disciple and that there is a high cost to it. In Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26, Jesus is talking his, to his disciples about what it actually means to follow him. And this is a pretty well-known um, verse, but I love how straightforward and simple the message translation puts these really well-known verses. So in the message translation, Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26 says, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is of no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose your soul? What could you ever trade your soul for? Hope, we love our autonomy and independence, don't we? But to practice discipleship is to practice denying our preferences in order to follow God's way instead, even if it's inconvenient or challenging. So church, what would it look like for us to let God be in the driver's seat? I think in many ways, it'll look like making adjustments to our rhythms and habits of our daily lives to live in a way that's more in line, aligned with what Jesus asks, even if it's hard or uncomfortable. 
And to do that means putting into practice those spiritual disciplines that we've been talking about, like regularly reading scripture and praying, because these practices are a way for us to understand and continue to learn what God says his way is and to know his heart for us. And just like Craig talked about last week with confession, it also means that we can't pull back and isolate, even if that's easier. Why? Well, because God's call of discipleship is specifically lived out in community. It's lived out with other people. And the call in scripture, right, we know it, it's to love our neighbors as ourselves. And that means that we need to know the needs of our neighbor, of our coworkers, of our family and our friends. And we need to work to meet those needs, the spiritual ones as well as the physical ones. But in order to meet those needs, we have to live life up close and personal because needs are never static. They change person to person and in circumstance to circumstance. Hope, we're in a really unique season right now coming out of a pandemic. We've spent more than a year isolating from other people and pulling back, not living life up close and personal. And revamping back into community requires a lot of effort, right? Honestly, in many cases, I've felt anxious engaging and re-engaging in social settings. But I wonder and I ask us, what would it look like to let God be in the driver's seat as we re-engage in community in this season? Maybe it'll look like coming to an in-person gathering or another event, even if that's harder, requires more planning, or even if it requires talking to somebody new that you haven't met before. Or maybe responding to the invitation of discipleship looks like prioritizing joining a hope group so that you can meet and build relationships with those trusted companions that Craig talked about last week with confession. See, that's the beauty of the invitation, even in the midst of the cost of it all and the hardship of it all. Jesus invites us to come, to be, to follow him. And we have this inv invitation as inv individuals, but even more so we have it as a church that's called to practice discipleship together. It is hard, yes, but it is really beautiful. Another cost of discipleship is that we have to deny our need for immediate gratification and consumption. We're inundated with opportunities, right? To get all that we want and to get it immediately. We can get food, great food at our door in 30 minutes. We have endless amounts of entertainment right in our pocket in our smartphones. And we can even communicate to people all across the globe at any point in time, no matter where we are or where they are, through technology and social media. And this insatiable need for consumption and instant gratification impacts our relationships with God, whether we're conscious of it or not. But in our text, in the Great Commission, Jesus says the call to discipleship is to teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And that call is not a one and done or instant task. That takes a lifetime. 
an author that I really love, Eugene Peterson, wrote, a, wrote about this and the consumer mindset, especially in regards to church, in his book on discipleship, which is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. In it, he says, religion in our time has been captured by the tourist mindset. Religion is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. For some, it is a weekly jaunt to church. For others, occasional visits to special services. We go to see a new personality, to hear a new truth, to get a new experience, and so somehow expand our otherwise humdrum lives. We'll try anything until something else comes along. What makes the work of leading Christians in the way of faith most difficult is today's passion for the immediate and the casual. The cost of discipleship is exchanging our passion for the immediate and the casual, for patience and faith of walking with God day by day. Honestly, Eugene Peterson's book title, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, gives us a really good image of what we're called to in a life of discipleship. We're invited to deny the tourist tendencies and instead choose to live day by day faith, believing what Jesus said that regardless of the costs of discipleship, that with all the power and authority in heaven, he'll be with us always to the very end of the age. And that's what leads us to our third point, where the power in discipleship comes from. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that works in and through all these spiritual practices to transform us over time. And that means that, yes, a regular practice of fasting or solitude, for instance, will be discipleship tools that help us learn and grow. One evidence of the transformative power of discipleship is that our hearts will be softened, softened where we were once skeptical, lukewarm, or even indifferent to Christ. Over time, we'll grow in our understanding of grace. And that reality and that understanding will soften our hearts. It'll allow us to become more gentle and merciful towards ourselves and towards others. In practicing discipleship, we'll understand and be more gracious when we mess up and when others mess up and don't get it right away. I've seen this evidence in my own life. There's a Christian author and speaker that I really love to learn from, and she's been recently posting old uh, and somewhat embarrassing tweets from when she first became a Christian. Um, and these tweets are, are filled with truth for sure. Uh, and she even says that, but what she acknowledges and what we see is that they were written harshly and they lacked grace for others. And when I'm reading them, I'm laughing at them, right? Um, but it's one of those like uncomfortable laughs because you really empathize and resonate with the cringeworthiness of it all. And I resonate because I remember some of the things that I said and the opinions that I held when I first started to take my relationship with God seriously. I was full of passion, but I lacked understanding and grace for people and for navigating the nuances of life. Therefore, I would speak more than I listened. I would correct more than I was compassionate towards others. But over time, God has humbled me and he softened my heart. Now I see more, more clearly the beauty 
in other people. I see how they're made in God's image and each person is a person for whom Christ died on the cross. I see the beauty in navigating the nuances of life. But more than anything, it's that over time, Christ allowed me to see more clearly my sin and how undeserving of his death on the cross I am. He allows me to daily learn the depths of my brokenness through discipleship. And the more I understand my deep need to be daily reminded of the gospel, the more I understand how much grace I've been given. And it's that understanding that moves me completely from head to heart and to will and to show grace and compassion towards others. After all, if I've been shown this grace when I didn't deserve it, who am I to withhold extending that same grace towards other people? Now, to be sure, I have definitely grown in gentleness over the last 15 years, 10, 15 years, but I have a long way to go um, in understanding grace. And so, quite frankly, when I inevitably mess up, which I will do, and I hurt someone that I really love dearly, that's when I get to practice the discipline of confession and repentance. I get to admit that I've failed and I get to ask for forgiveness. And even those mess ups then, right? Even those mess ups are discipleship opportunities for me to learn more about grace and my need for Jesus. You see, it's understanding grace that points us back to where the power in discipleship comes from. Our discipleship itself isn't what saves us or transforms us, right? It's that God so richly loves us that he's committed to us. He's committed to transforming us and teaching us. He doesn't ask us to clean ourselves up before we come to him, but he also doesn't leave us where we are when we first meet him. He transforms us over time with his love and through his mercy and grace. And the evidence of this transformation will be on display for the world to see and it will be attractive. Jesus talks to his disciples about this in John 13, verses 34 and 35. He says to them, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I remember being attracted to this kind of love when I was first starting my discipleship journey freshman year of college. I'd met a girl named Anna who regularly invited me to church with her and to hang out with her friends from church. Now, to be sure, it took me a while to say yes to that invitation, but eventually I did. And once I did, I remember thinking how beautiful their friendships were with one another and how much fun they had. Their friendships were full of kindness, honesty, compassion, empathy. And I just felt like these friendships were friendships that I'd not yet experienced in my own life. And it was so attractive. I kept wanting to spend more time with them. So I kept going to church and I kept going to events with them. And they kept loving me and caring about me and processing my questions with me. And they helped me grow and they helped me learn. To the point that one day I said to Anna that I knew that God wanted a relationship with me and I was ready to take that seriously. And then over the next year, both Anna and I walked with our other friend, Allison, 
who was processing through those same questions that I was, processing through that same fear, doubt, and longings that I had. And honestly, over that season, Allison had the same revelation that I did, that the beauty of life with Jesus far outweighed any costs of discipleship. And now, over 10 years later, the three of us are still growing and learning together in friendship with one another, and we've invited many others along with us too. You see, our response of yes to the invitation of discipleship invites others to respond to that invitation too. The invitation of discipleship is an invitation that keeps on multiplying. In the Great Commission, Jesus promised to be with us always, right? Until the end of the ages. And it's that power and that promise that allows us to show up with people honestly. To show up in the midst of the mess, in the joys and the sorrows, and even those boring in-betweens. To be there. To learn together what it means to follow Christ. It's God's commitment to always be with us that allows us to freely commit to others and to walk and learn with others in this life. That's the beauty of discipleship. It's a virtuous cycle. It always starts with an invitation from Jesus to follow him. And the power of that invitation, despite the costs, allows us to invite others to journey with us in discipleship too. Hope family, Christ lovingly and excitingly, excitedly invites us to the ride of a lifetime through discipleship. It's a long obedience in the same direction. And the question is, do you really want to learn from and grow in the ways of Jesus and be transformed? Let's be a church that responds to God's invitation by letting God be in the driver's seat and letting him transform us with his mercy and grace daily. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for teaching us, for inviting us into discipleship with you, to learn from you and grow with you and grow with others. I thank you for the diversity in our community, and I pray that you would give us the humility to learn from one another. You would give us the perseverance through the cost. God, would you transform us and would you help us to respond yes to the invitation that you've given us in Jesus. We pray all of this in your holy name. Amen.